0: Washington, D.C., this is on the ground. With U.S.-backed wars and violence spreading abroad, and more senseless violence here at home, activists remember the radical legacy of the Reverend Martin Luther King, Jr.
1: The radical black tradition was always anti-imperialist, always anti-war, always against all forms of oppression.
0: 55 years after King's assassination, Today's organizers say that while King is best known for having a dream of racial harmony, they lean more on his analysis of the triple evils of U.S. empire racism, war, and poverty.
2: So when people come to this memorial, it's not just about a great civil rights leader who had some inspirational quotes. It's about a civil rights leader who was trying to guide this country to peace once and for all. And we honor him for that legacy. We honor him for speaking out when it cost him his life.
0: Welcome to On the Ground, ground onthegroundshow.org, voices of resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Averam. For this hour, voices from a vigil at the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial here in Washington, D.C. to kick off this weekend dedicated to the slain human rights leader. But first, our headlines. Nearly a week after a 13-year-old Black boy, Carone Blake, was shot to death by a vigilante who said that Blake was breaking into cars in Northeast D.C., police have not released the shooter's name to the public and the man who is a District of Columbia employee, has not been arrested or charged. Even the announcement by Mayor Muriel Bowser and Police Chief Robert Conti that the shooter is also Black has not dampened the Brooklyn community's outrage, which spilled over at a Tuesday, January 10th community meeting attended by 300 people. Speaking at the meeting, Carone's grandfather, Sean Long, expressed a collective incredulity at the fact that a man could shoot and kill an unarmed child and not be arrested.
3: I didn't know that you would get a gun from me and shoot somebody for messing with the car. Talk about
0: it. Talk about it. Come on down. The police can't do too much. This
3: man shoot somebody. somebody yes. Yeah.
4: Shoot somebody. That's it. Ain't got
3: no weapons. Nothing. They're walking on the street 3 o'clock in the morning. Look at that cars, and he get killed. When we start doing that around here, now, no disrespect to the white people, because I respect all of y'all. I'm black. If I would have killed a white boy on that street.
0: In response to community demands, Chief Conti said that releasing the man's name will hinder their investigation and that evidence in the case will be heard by a grand jury, which will decide whether to bring charges. There is another type of outrage and amazement in D.C., as the entire country and maybe the world looks on at the case of George Santos, newly sworn in member of Congress, who is representing New York's third congressional district in Queens and Long Island. He's in office despite lying about almost all of his resume and qualifications and despite being the subject of several investigations. More outrageous, the new Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, says that Santos is eligible to serve on House committees while announcing his plan to bar other members, certain Democrats from committees, including Minnesota Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. While Santos may have won his seat by hook or crook, Wisconsin Republicans are boasting about their success in suppressing votes in that state's Black and Latinx communities. Voting rights advocates in Wisconsin are calling on a member of the state's election authority, Bob Spindle, to resign after he boasted about suppressing Black and brown Milwaukee voters during last year's midterms. Spindle, chairman of the 4th Congressional District GOP and a member of the Wisconsin Elections Committee, gloated openly in an email to thousands of Republicans that, quote, we can be especially proud of the city of Milwaukee casting 37,000 less votes than cast in the 2018 election, with a major reduction happening in the overwhelming Black and Hispanic areas. This great and important decrease in Democratic votes in the city, end quote, was due to a, quote, well thought out multifaceted plan, end quote, which included negative ads targeting black voters, Republican lawsuits that increased voting restrictions and an effort to convince Democratic voters to stay home on Election Day. A bright spot after the chaos of 15 votes to elect a House Speaker is the seating of Representative Summer Lee, a grassroots activist who is the first black woman to represent the state of Pennsylvania in Congress, on the ground caught up with her at a reception in her honor on the DC Wharf. Hi, I'm Esther. I'm here for Pacifica Radio. And I just wanted to get a comment from you about being in here because there are a lot of people here who supported your campaign and would just like to hear some words from you about being here and yeah. surviving all you survived my goodness to be victorious and on your first day on the job
5: yeah that's so true I mean you hit the you hit the nail on the head when I first when I first started getting into politics it wasn't something that I chose to do but I was always like committed to saying we and I think people used to think that that was you know Oh, it's a it's a performance, you know, you're saying we because you know that's what you're supposed to say in campaign. I'm like, I can't speak for anybody else's campaign experience and elected experience, but I know for a fact that I got in every single time I've been elected, I got in the way you're supposed to. And when you get in the way you're supposed to, it is a we because genuinely it is not me. It is not just my, you know, it's not just my labor. We've had so many people who care, so many people who express their support in all, all types of ways, right? And my staff can tell you we had hard days. Uh we have really hard days. When you're trying to be the first of anything, you know, there's a reason why there, there hasn't been somebody before you. So we had to go through barriers that we didn't anticipate. And um people kept fighting for us. And it was because it was that important. So even when we were kind of like, there were days when we were definitely like, this is maybe not worth it. To so like go through what we're going through to see what my family had to go through. There were days when we're like, it might not be worth it. But there are people who were still fighting. So to make it here today is it's you know, It's important because those people deserved to be here. Those people deserve to have this moment.
0: Back in Pennsylvania, Republicans are trying to delay a special election that would fill the state legislature seat left vacant by Lee when she won her seat in Congress last November. And finally, in Culture and Media, a new study by researchers at New York University further debunks the assertion by Democrats that a Russian disinformation campaign on social media during the 2016 U.S. presidential election had any meaningful impact on the outcome. The study was led by NYU's Center for Social Media and Politics and published in the scientific journal Nature Communications, based on a survey of nearly 1,500 U.S. respondents Twitter activity, the researchers concluded, quote, the online push by Russian foreign influence accounts didn't change attitudes or voting behavior, end quote. And here is just a sampling of the actions that are honoring the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. this year. On Saturday, January 14th at noon, there will be a march and rally on Times Square in New York saying, NATO expansion, no, peace in Ukraine, yes. The rally is sponsored by the Answer Coalition, the People's Forum, Action for Assange, and other groups. Here in D.C., a series of events and actions will culminate in the MLK Peace Walk and Parade Monday, January 16th, with participants assembling at the park at MLK and Malcolm X Avenues Southeast at 10 a.m. A rally will be held at 10.30 and the Peace Walkers will proceed onto MLK Avenue and head north towards St. Elizabeth's to lead the parade. The website for these holiday events in D.C. is mlkholidaydc.org. That's mlkholidaydc.org. And those are our headlines and happenings. Stay with us. I wish I knew
4: how it feel. To be free, I wish I could break all the chains holding me. I wish I could say all the things that I should say, say them loud, say them clear for the whole round world to hear. I wish I could share. All the love that's in my heart Remove all the bars that keep us apart
6: Um, some of the groups that are here, close to 1500 faith leaders signed on for a Christmas truce to end the war in Ukraine by pushing negotiations and diplomacy rather than more weapons and more destruction of people and the planet. And we also want to acknowledge and keep in mind the the perpetual wars that continue from the so-called war on terror to the US-backed war in Yemen, on um, the US-backed ethnic cleansing and war in Palestine. In, in all of that, we are also in a, a city where gun violence is rampant and that our own streets are oftentimes considered war zones and police brutality specifically towards black folks in this city and across this country are also rooted in the the three evils as well. So. I am really excited to hear from some incredible leaders that, we, that call Washington D.C. home. Um, so we are going to hear from some faith leaders and some peace activists. And then we are going to hear from some of the audience in reading some of MLK's words. And then we will close by honoring all of those who are lost, um, who have been lost due to, um, from, from wars, racism, and poverty. So with that, we are going to welcome our first speaker, Reverend Hagler of the Fellowship on Reconciliation. I need this now because my voice has
7: changed <laughs> over the last couple of years since I've been battling cancer, and uh, all is good. That's what I can say. And I always tell this story, and I'll, I'll say this: is that as they were examining me to see how far the cancer had spread, they discovered that I had an aneurysm that was about ready to burst. And so I was able to get that repaired. Yeah, so on this side, I can say that cancer probably saved my life. Now that may sound ironic, but it's real. And so coming through that, I know that I can beat anything. And I can stand as long as the Lord allows me to stand and I will continue to stand and speak out. One of the things I've been reeling with all weekend is we had a 13-year-old kid killed in Washington, D.C. The police came around, and the man tried to spin it out that this young man was breaking into cars. And so somebody came out of their house, wasn't even their car, with a gun in their hand, and killed a 13-year-old. And I knew something was wrong because immediately the narrative was a homeowner with a legal gun kills a 13-year-old. But what is that the description of who, what, and where? And it's been this long that we haven't known anything about who the person is that pulled the trigger. To find out that they're a city employee, and that's why it's been so hard to get the information, but that's not the only thing. The only thing is that we know that military, just like law enforcement, is equipped and funded to basically carry out horrors against people, not only in Washington, D.C., and not only across the country, but around the world. All we got to look at is realize that if we're going to have a fight Whenever we're talking about health care or counseling student debt or anything that has to do with the social fabric and the well-being of a human being, but we don't have that debate when it comes to a defense budget, that they get more than they ask for. How come people get less than what they ask for and less than what they need? But all the defense contractors are making money hand over fist. Dr. King warned us in 1967, April 4th, that unless we change the values of this nation, we're going to be out after one war after another, after one incursion after another. And if you look at his speech, he talks about Mozambique and Vietnam, and all these places where we've been and where we've created carnage and horror. So yes, civil rights is human rights. And we got to stand up for the right of humanity to exist, of humanity to exist, That's right. not business, not government for the sake of government, but for women, men, children to exist and to live peace and to live with security. That's why it's important, Copay, I'm glad we're out here. Standing individual. As that sign says, money for the poor and not for war. Money, money is also that which has fueled the kind of insanity that we see. Whether it's embargoes against Cuba or whether it is the funding that goes into Israel to oppress Palestinians. Look how long the battle was to try to dismantle apartheid in South Africa and all over the Southern realm based on money and greed and people who can expend life without even a second thought about the dignity and worth of that life. And so we stand up for the dignity and worth of life here in Washington, D.C., but all around the world. No war, no 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 wars, but peace. No wars, but peace. No wars,
6: but peace. God bless you. Thank you so much, Reverend Hagler, and thank you for bringing in the intersections from local to global, and, you know, that's why we're here. So the second person who's gonna speak can speak to that very well. So Zilla Wesley of the DC Poor People's Campaign, um, an active, incredible organizer here in DC, we're so lucky to have you, um, also does um, work for the Care Center. Zilla! <laughs> Hi
8: everyone, I'm a little low energy today because I got in a car accident on Tuesday and somebody ran a stop sign, but it's not about me. I am in a place where we still need a fight. Because even when I was in the hospital and I was in as much pain as I was in, the guy came to me and was like, are you really in that much pain? You know, is this the worst pain of your life? And so with that said, we are at war on a lot of levels because war looks like a lot of different ways. We are in a place where MLK Day has been a day that companies volunteer to clean up parks or paint schools, right? And is that his, what he was really talking about towards the end of his life, what he really got assassinated for, right? Was he was working on the Poor People's Campaign. And it's one of those things where we need to really stand up and say, what was his dream? Because that's all we know is I had a dream and white children and black children and everyone just holding hands, skipping it, you know what I'm saying? But the reality is we are in a place of violence. We are in a place of we have we forgot one war, the war on drugs. Right? Because this war on drugs has been happening in my whole life and they haven't done anything and a girl's 40, okay? So with that said, it's one of those things where we need to stand up because the policies that are in play right now are policies of violence. And through the pandemic, we did see that the child's tax credit did help get 20 million children out of poverty, right? But they want us in poverty. They want us silent, because our silence is violence towards us and the world, too. So with that said, please remember, in the Beyond Vietnam speech, that's what we really need to think about, where he uplifted these evils and we're still living in them, 50 some odd years later. Like, can we really say to ourselves we have really actualized any of his dreams, right? Because I can date who I want to date, because I can have dinner with my white friend, doesn't mean we survived or we're thriving. So I just want that is really, let's start honoring him with steps for our liberation and freedom for all.
6: With That starts locally to globally. Thank you Zilla, thank you for coming out here. Just, so again, we are out here leading up to Martin Luther King Jr. Day, but as Zilla just said, that King's legacy should be carried out every day in all that we do, and that eradicating the three evils of racism, poverty, and war um, need to go across movements and spaces. So someone who does that really well is Dr. Maha Halel and she is going to speak here. Um, and I think also carrying that yesterday was the anniversary, 21st anniversary of the Guantanamo Bay prison opening up and her tireless work with abolishing Guantanamo as well as a number of other things. So welcome, Dr. Maha.
2: Thank you so much, everyone, for being here today. Thank you, Code Pink, for the invitation. I want to start with a quote from a young Pakistani boy who said the following at a congressional hearing about drone warfare. He said, quote, I no longer love blue skies. In fact, I now prefer gray skies. The drones do not fly when the skies are gray. And I started with that quote Because when we think of the level of violence that the United States has inflicted upon other countries, it is so deep and so egregious that a young boy associates the color of the sky with whether or not he or his family or his friends will be droned later that day. We're in a state now where war is so normalized that we can't even imagine a United States without war. That when the United States says, for example, the war in Afghanistan is over, we know that it's not. We know the US government is still there. We know that people are suffering from the legacies of war and violence in their country. So what does it actually mean, even when we say the war is over? My work focuses on the war on terror. And so many times I've heard the narrative that, for example, torture is a stain on this country's fabric. Torture is not a stain. Torture is American. And there are no places left to stain in this country's history because it is filled only with war and violence. We know that when we look at the war on terror alone, that the war on terror could not have been as violent and continue to be as violent as it is had it not been built on centuries and centuries of violence inflicted on so many communities in the United States. The genocide of the indigenous people, the enslavement of Africans, and so on and so forth. So what we're dealing with, whenever we talk about ending only one specific war, is we have to contend with the fact that we have to end all wars that came before because U.S. wars, again, never really end. They just morph into new wars that preserve the brutality of wars past. This is a long fight. We're here today at the MLK Memorial, and I'm sure he wouldn't be surprised to know where we are now, how the U.S. government has continued its violence and war in the United States and across the globe. But we have to denormalize war. And I know all of us are committed to this. So when people come to this memorial, it's not just about a great civil rights leader who had some inspirational quotes. It's about a civil rights leader who is trying to guide this country to peace once and for all. And we honor him for that legacy. We honor him for speaking out when it cost him his life. So it is on all of us, right? And all of us are here because we oppose war so strongly. But we need the rest of the citizens in this country, communities to also oppose war. For everyone in this country to know that We don't need to exploit and harm other people to have a nice life. It doesn't have to be that way. And we have to convince the people in this country that there is a different way, a better way. Yesterday, as Olivia said, was the 21-year anniversary of Guantanamo. Guantanamo is fundamentally a place of injustice. We all know that. When prisoners are transferred out, the only thing the Pentagon says is that they now pose, they've determined that they pose a low level security threat to the United States. In other words, there is no apology, no recognition, no acknowledgment of the detention and torture they've endured. So if we ever get to the place where war is no longer part and parcel to this country. We will have to reckon with the injustice and brutality that so many have suffered. It doesn't mean it can't start now. But I'm so grateful to be here with all of you, so many people who are continuing to fight when this country is so invested in war. And I hope one day when we come back to the MLK Memorial, the people who will be here will be those committed to ending war and not coming just to take pictures of inspirational quotes. Thank you so much again uh, for, for hosting this vigil and hopefully we can all continue the work together. Thank you.
0: That was Maha Hilal, co-director of Justice for Muslims Collective, an organizer with Witness Against Torture, and council member of School of the America's Watch. Before her, Zilla Wesley, an organizer with the Cairo Center, and the Reverend Graylin Hagler. This is On the Ground. I'm Esther Iveram. Stay with us.
3: I had a friend who, when you call him up, he'd say, Pret the Revolution. He meant ready for the revolution. He got that from Secretary. Ture. So I wanted to know what he meant by ready for the revolution. His brother named Kwame Ture, who was Stokely Carmichael. And this is called Understanding Readiness for Kwame Ture who was Stokely karma? How do we know who we are, except in the world, going through it together? How do we know where we are, except with each other, facing reality like dogs straining on a leash? How do we know who are our friends and who are our enemies, only by what they do, who they hold on to, who they fight for and support? who they help, who they feed in the storm, whose side they're on. How do we know who can lead? Only by seeing them do it. Only by feeling the realness and hopefulness, their sincerity and courage. Only by touching their love for the actual selves of us. Only by their suffering in our name. The jailings, the beatings, and torture. Only by the way our enemies describe them. Only by their wisdom and plans, their affirmation. Their pronouncements and positions. What they think and move on. What direction they give us to transform our slave conditions. How do we know who are our heroes? Can we tell, yes if we are conscious, even when they are still alive, who is it that will take this brother's place, all of those who understand what his life was, what he wanted, what he did, and who in the end he looked to as comrades in struggle? Whatever their names or philosophies or ideologies or uniforms or preparation. All who want democracy and freedom. How do we know we must struggle? How do we know? Is that why we are here? <laughs> to listen again, to see again, to feel again? Can we still ask the brother we celebrate? whom we love, whom we still desire to lift us with his transforming fire. We know if we call him, if we call his name, he will come. But what do we need him now to do that he has not already done? We need him now. We need him with us because he is part of us now, part of our consciousness and feeling and history. We need him now because without him, we are not whole, nor will we go anywhere but backward, which he would never do. How do we speak to him now? In our love, our understanding, our developed consciousness, we speak to him with our acts, with our commitment, with facts, with our unyielding will and struggle to be free, our self-determination, our soul deep pledge to help unite, liberate oppressed people everywhere with the same fierceness we fight for Pan Africa, Africa, the Afro American nation. Hey, is that clear? And what is this brother's name? What is this brother's name? Organizer Black Panther. United Front, Pan-Africa, Nkrumah, scientific soldiers ready for the revolution, undying love for the people, all African people's revolutionary party, Stokely, Carmichael, Kwame, Ture, organizer Black Panther, Lounge County, SNCC, Black Power, Black United Front, Pan-Africa, kruma scientific socialists, ready for the revolution and dying love for the people, all African people's revolutionary party, Stokely Carmichael, Kwame Tore. Comrade, warrior, ideologue, thinker, revolutionary, leader, hero. My man, my man, Stokely Carmichael, Kwame Tore. my man my man my man my brother my man my man my brother my dear brother hey
6: the muslim counter public Uh, Black Alliance for Peace, the Claudia Jones School, MD to Palestine, Fellowship on Reconciliation, Code Pink, the DC Poor People's Campaign. These are just some of the groups that came together. Um, But we want to grow this movement. We want to grow showing up for each other and making these connections. And our our next speaker is with the Black Alliance for Peace. And something that we don't talk about enough is um, the US um, AFRICOM and U.S. intervention in parts of Africa, that again, with this being the MLK weekend, we really want to show how much racism, militarism, and poverty all perpetuate each other. So, Netfa, over to
4: you. Good
1: afternoon, everyone. I guess I want to start by talking about, and the Black and Losser piece, We have a slogan, you might hear us say quite often, no compromise, no retreat. And we say that because, and in fact, we even attribute our founding based on the anniversary of the assassination of Dr. King. And Dr. King's legacy reflects a legacy of uncompromising. He was uncompromising, he was principal, uh, he actually even worked a lot with people who often betrayed him, betrayed the movement. And so in spite of being offered and being able to go the other way, go the more soft, liberal way, he always took the principal position. He was always, he's known for having even changed and modified his position based on principal uh, deliberations and, and understanding of things and being presented with things. And so we'd like to think that that aspect of Dr. King, that character of Dr. King is what the Black Elijah piece represents and tries to follow. One of the things that Dr. King said too, and I think that we all probably embody this, is that, or in one way or another, silence is the voice of complicity. And so if we're silent about things that are reaping destruction around the world and causing repression and and oppression, based on our comfortable disposition, our comfortable position in society, then we are complicit with those things. Well, we actually live in a time that is advanced beyond that. In fact, the enemies of humanity are not silent. And those who posture as if they represent us are not silent. They don't just shy away from the things that we talk about. They actually speak the opposite. They will actually denounce us. They will actually try to Circumvent or get in front of what we're talking about, what we call uh, appropriate, or, or even a better term, elite be capture. We want to get in front of the the the, uh, the yearnings and the, and the aspirations of the people that are being expressed constantly because of the, the deteriorating situation in this country in the world, and try to modify them. So it makes us have to actually become more sophisticated and uncompromising in what we say. We don't want to be in a position, and this is where Dr. King would do it. We won't, don't want to be in a position where we are co-opted. Where we go with what sounds good. Where we go with what will get us the the most media attention, because the enemies of humanity, their their fourth branch, their their the media, will they won't they not go come and cover this, and if we want their coverage. We might end up compromising and modifying what we say just to get their coverage. Mm-hmm. But Dr. King wouldn't do that. And and it was a movement, it was a time and a movement, it became so strong, and his influence was so much that the press had to cover things. We don't live in those times anymore. The press is more sophisticated. When we when we protest, they don't come cover it. If they do, they're gonna cover it from an angle that doesn't make it look like what it is. Mm-hmm. They'll they'll create soundbite, take sound bites out of context and make it seem like we're you know our position is something that, that it wasn't. You know, so we have to become more sophisticated. We got to up our game. Mm-hmm. Dr. King represented, and this is what also the Black um, the Black Alliance for Peace says, in our principles of unity or our mission and vision is that we are trying to embody or characterize or, and recapture the Black radical tradition, the radical Black tradition. And so the the radical Black tradition was always anti-imperialist, always anti-war. Always against all forms of oppression, and was for against capitalism. I mean, it's no—you know—we got—we're against capitalism. It was always for at least some iteration or something that represented equated to socialism, and was for people's right to self-determination and their right to struggle in any form they see fit. So we're not a pacifist movement. We're not when we say peace, we don't just mean some principal imp- um, peace as a pacifist position. We know that the only way to peace is through justice. We know that the only way to peace is to eradicate the forms of oppression like capitalism and imperialism and militarization by the powers that be. That's the only way. So when people come to us and they wanna talk about peace and they're not talking about it being uh, those things, eradication of those things as necessarily being a part of it, they're not talking about peace. They're talking about something we would call an unprincipled compromise with the enemies of humanity. Mm. Now, another thing is that the powers that be, you know, things, there's a lot of uh, people, or comrades in the Black Radical tradition, and they say, I mean, in the Black Alliance for Peace, and they say this, and I, and, and I begin to know what it means. It's a quote from somebody, I don't remember. It, it says, History doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. So it's. <laughs> And so a lot of times we hear people say, oh, history repeats itself. And it doesn't really take into account that there's some similarities, there's some patterns to what, what persists, but it's also not exactly the same. And that the powers that be and the forms of oppression, they become more sophisticated. And as we become, and our struggle intensifies, they adapt to us. So which means we gotta adapt that much quicker. We gotta become that much more uncompromising. They will actually, so right now, they have a so, so, they're trying to propagate such confusion that they will put on the news, and they keep doing it, what happened in January 6th. And people are storming house, and they equate it to fascism as being quite people fall for this now, and that they will engage in prosecutions of people who were doing that, right? But then if we actually pay attention, the champions of those prosecutions, the people leading the call and getting the media attention that is anti the January sixth stuff are our enemies. They are the people that are supporting Africom, the U.S. Africa Command, and the destabilization in the Horn of Africa, and the and the fueling and fueling of the war in Ukraine. These are the same folks, and so we have to become more. Sophisticated. We can't fall for the okie doke, and we have to make sure that the masses of the people understand this clearly. United States undermined what could be a peace process between Russia and Ukraine. They undermined it. Yes, yes. They keep fueling, just giving money to the enemy and fuel and lining the pockets of the, the, the offense contractors. Let's not call them a defense contract. They ain't defending nothing but their pockets mm. and they keep pushing it to us. And then they're going to tell us there's no money for the social needs and, and, you know, all this, the, the thing, oh, we, we could line up all the social needs. Those things get cut. They're expendable. Right? They don't even think about those. And, and so, one thing, and also we have to remember, I, I can fall subject to this sometime because they'll put so much propaganda on the mainstream corporate press that I'll make the mistake of, of transforming that and converting that into an acceptance that the people believe this stuff. People ain't believing it no more than we are. It's just high profile. It's just making a lot of noise. But when we talk to the people on the street, they understand the contradictions. Especially the people that are getting evicted from their homes. You know, the eviction moratoriums are running out. The health care is no better than it was before. They don't even have money for the, the child tax credit. People are seeing these contradictions. It's just that their voice is not. But the, re- the media reports. And then they intensify, they talk about the uh, the violence of African people. We're seeing the reports of violence. We're seeing report uh, <laughs> reports of the violence in our community. What we refer to as intercommunal violence. I'm also the Black um, Pan-African Community Action working on a community level. Referred as the intercommunal violence. Some people might call it Black-on-Black crime. You know, I don't accept those terms unless we can start talking about white-on-white crime or something else, then there's no such thing because every you know, that's how crime, but they never connect the intensify violence as being a frustration and despair of conditions of neoliberalism and capitalism. The increasing conditions, the increasing unsustainability, as we call it, of neoliberalism is what we're seeing in the war in Ukraine. What we're seeing about the US disposition against China what we're seeing about them trying to, you know, have the African, the U.S. Africa Leaders Summit. I don't know if people really had that just in December and making it seem, oh, cause they're, you know, they're trying to work, all this language, they're trying to work with African leaders as if there's no such thing as neocolonialism, as this Afrikaism isn't spread all across the continent in every country except for one, as if they didn't decimate Libya in 2011, destroy that country, and haven't fueled the drone war and continue to fuel it in Somalia and we don't hear about that. We'll hear oh, it's, the Russians are so inhumane and they're killing people the drone strike drone strike I don't know how many people, was just a, a month ago, a couple of them all they have to do is call them militants and then we dismiss it and we think okay, well they're they did what they have to do, they're trying to protect Africans and you know, Africans can't manage themselves so everybody's You know uncontrollable so we have to remember that they are engaged in a hybrid war they're trying to hold on to an unsustainable system by any means necessary it's called uh, full spectrum dominance they're committed to it and so we have to be for the liberation of humankind we have to be internationalists we have to be uh, uncompromisingly against the enemies of humanity and call them out for whoever they are whatever their name is and the the system that they're trying to uphold. Thank you. Woo!
4: Thank you.
6: Thank you so much, Netfa. So one of the signs here says, Free Palestine, and we have a young Palestinian activist uh, who does a lot of incredible work with, um, from Maryland to Palestine. So, yes, me and on.
9: Greatest purveyor of violence in the world, my own government. I cannot be silent. MLK in 1967. MLK's observation has only become more true in the 56 years since he made it. From Iraq to Libya to Afghanistan to every country in South America to Palestine. Some like to refer to the U.S. and Israel as allies, but I like to address the U.S. as an enabler to Israel. Because only an enabler would hand over $4 billion a year to a settler-colonialist entity. Only an enabler would knowingly aid the murder and displacement of millions of Palestinians, providing endless supply of American arms. We must realize that without the support of the U.S., Israel would simply not be able to commit its crimes with impunity. And this makes us directly beholden to the fight for a free Palestine, to fight against what our very own government is funding. Each one of us gives $28 a year to Israel. We fund the murder, incarceration, displacement of Palestinians. Our tax dollars are the reason Israel is able to demolish more homes and expropriate more Palestinian land. I don't know about you, but knowing that 28 of my dollars a year goes to the illegal occupation of my people makes me nauseous. We are responsible. We must repair the doing of our own country. If not us, then who? And if not now, then when? MLK radically opposed U.S. imperialism, most notably the Vietnam War. And because of this, he was outcasted by both the U.S. government and mainstream society. This directly parallels with the treatment of those who support the Palestinian plight for freedom in America. Because it is anti-colonial and anti-imperial stances that make you a target in the U.S. We face being ostracized by Zionist forces every day, whether it be through local laws or bills passed that defend Israel, being put on blacklists and getting docs, getting kicked out of universities for our political stances. We are in a constant battle with the enabler. Looking back to the moral courage of MLK in the face of powerful retaliation, we draw profound inspiration from him in the fight to free Palestine. As he put it, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an escapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly, affects all indirectly. MLK was a strong believer that none of us are free until all of us are free. Our causes are all connected. Last week, 15-year-old Palestinian child, Adam Ayyad was murdered. The same week, 13-year-old black child, Karan Blake was murdered right here in the streets of D.C. Where is the outrage when our children are murdered? Where's the legal accountability or consequence? And these are just two of millions of children who are murdered and deprived of justice by the system. No matter what you're fighting for, know that we are all fighting for the same thing. We fight to abolish this system built on racism, white supremacy, colonialism, capitalism, imperialism. We fight for justice. Our brothers and sisters in Palestine are not free until our black brothers and sisters in America are. So as we remember all of our glorious martyrs today, I will remember Quran and I ask that you remember Adam. Thank you. Thank you so much, Yasmeen,
6: thank you and now thank you all for for coming out. we are here, in something that I think Villa alluded to earlier is that we often hear the talking points from MLK's I Have a Dream speech, but the Viet- Beyond Vietnam speech is something that is much less well-known, and so there are just two short excerpts that I have here and was hoping we could get some of the audience participation, so would anyone like to come up and read one part of it?
10: Anything? We, as a nation, must undergo a radical revolution of values We must rapidly begin to shift from a thing-oriented society to a person-oriented society. When machines and computers, profit motives, and property rights are considered more important than people, the giant triplets of racism, extreme materialism, and militarism are incapable of being conquered. A true revolution of values will soon cause us to question the fairness and justice of many of our past and present policies. True compassion is more than flinging a coin to a beggar. It is not haphazard and superficial. It comes to see that an edifice which produces beggars needs restructuring. A true revolution of values will soon look uneasily on the glaring contrast of poverty and wealth. A true revolution of values will lay hand on the world order and say of war, this way of settling differences is not just. This business of burning human beings with napalm, of filling our nation's homes with orphans and widows, of injecting poisonous drugs of hate into the veins of peoples normally humane, of sending men home from dark and bloody battlefields physically handicapped and psychologically deranged cannot be reconciled with wisdom, justice, And love. A nation that continues year after year to spend more money on military defense than on programs of social uplift is approaching spiritual doom.
0: And that will do it for today's show. Voices in that last segment included Yasmin from the group From Maryland to Palestine. Net for Freeman of Black Alliance for Peace and also the Pacifica radio show Voices with Vision on WPFW. They were speaking at a vigil held at the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial here in Washington, D.C. on Thursday, January 12, 2023. This is On the Ground, OnTheGroundShow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. We're on two dozen stations on the Pacifica Radio Network and on all your podcast platforms at On the Ground with Esther Ivarum. Our website and archive of all of our shows is onthegroundshow.org. In addition, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and i also link to every show on my Instagram page at Esther underscore Ivarum. Special thank you to our supporters on Patreon.com at On the Ground Show. The music we played this hour included I Wish I Knew How It Would Feel to Be Free by Nina Simone, Understanding Readiness by Amiri Baraka, and our theme music is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. I'm Esther Evaram. Until next time, take good care and keep raising your voice. Peace.